records would show later that the call lasted 24 seconds. Johan, please, please come to my house, he cried. I shot Reva. I thought she was an intruder. Please, please, please come quick. Then he phoned the emergency services, but they told him he should try and get her to a hospital himself. And then he phoned the estate security guards. He made the three calls in the space of five minutes. With immense effort, grunting, sobbing, and gasping for air, he lifted up her drenched body, carried her out of the bathroom and down a passageway, towards a set of grey marble stairs, her head hanging limply on his left shoulder. The gun he had fired did not have normal bullets in the magazine. If they had, she might have survived. But he had used dum-dum bullets that, instead of simply penetrating their target, expanded on impact. When he was halfway down the stairs, with a dead or dying woman in his arms, a security guard called Peter Barber came in through the front door, joined moments later by Stunder and Stunder's adult daughter, Carice. Standing there, too, was a young man from Malawi called Frankie Chizueni, who lived on the premises downstairs and worked for Pistorius as a gardener and housekeeper. Through his tears, he saw the four of them staring up at him, their hands covering their faces, muffling their gasps. He howled at them for help, but for a shocked instant they stood rooted where they were, not wanting to believe what their eyes were seeing. But yes, that was Oscar Pistorius, the national hero, their gentle, well-mannered friend. That was Reva, the smiling, warm, photographic model that all four of them had seen visiting the estate in recent months. She was in T-shirt and shorts, her long legs dangling from his arms. He wore only a pair of shiny basketball shorts, which reached down to his knees, covering the tops of his skin-coloured prostheses with their plastic calves, feet and toes. Blood trailed behind him on the staircase, trickled down his back. Blood on her clothes, her matted blonde hair, on his shorts, his legs, his bare torso and shoulders, streams of it. Stunder, the oldest of the four, was the first to collect himself, calling out that an ambulance was on its way, and urging Pistorius to lay Reva down on a rug by a sofa in the sitting-room near the front door. He dropped to his knees, lowered her delicately onto the ground, and screamed that he wanted that ambulance now, as he scrutinized her bruised face for some sign of life. He put a finger between her lips, trying to prise open her mouth, as if that would make her breathe. With his other hand, he covered the wound on her crushed right hip where the bleeding was heaviest. The gestures were as futile as they were desperate. There was no sign of breathing, no end to the hemorrhage. Carice Stunder placed a towel on Reva's hip, asked him if he had some rope or some tape to staunch the blood in the third wound on her left arm, conspiring with him in the frantic, make-believe struggle that they could do something, anything, to bring her back to life. Ten minutes had passed since he had fired the shots. Her eyes were closed and she made no sound. He fingered the inside of her wrist, searching for a pulse, finding none. Please, God, please let her live. She must not die, he prayed. Stay with me, my love, stay with me. Two minutes after the others, a fifth witness entered the house, a doctor called Johann Stipp, who lived a hundred yards away and had been woken by the sound of the shots. 
What happened? the doctor asked. I shot her. I thought she was a burglar. I shot her, he cried, still with his fingers in her mouth, trying to force a way in between her teeth, which were clenched shut. Dr. Stipp was a radiologist and no expert in an emergency, but he went through the motions of checking for signs of life, expecting to find none, for he saw that the top of her skull had cracked open and brain tissue was leaking out of it. He felt her wrist. No pulse. He opened her right eyelid. No contraction of the pupil. She was brain dead, mortally wounded. An ambulance arrived at 3.43. Two paramedics walked into the house and confirmed the doctor's diagnosis, pronouncing her dead. Sobbing, beyond hope of God's mercy now, he retreated up the stairs. Carice Stunder panicked. She realized...